My name is Brian Davis, and I want to welcome you to the sermon podcast of the Regency Park Church of the Nazarene. In today's message, we're finishing up a series called The Time Is Now, and uh, we talked last week about how God's people had procrastinated in doing what God wanted them to do in building God's temple and restoring it. And today we're going to finish up with talking about how does God move us forward? Maybe we've procrastinated about uh, something he wants us to do. How's he, how does he move us forward and get us going again? And what can we cling to in moments when we're tempted to quit and give up? Uh, what, what can we grab hold of that can help us live into God's will and God's desire for our lives? So I hope you'll enjoy the message this morning and God will use it to speak. paint something in your house and you use paint that you've you've had before right some some that was left over and uh, you'll know this like if you leave paint setting for very long you know you've got to get it either you got to stir it or you've got to get it shaken they say paint's only supposed to last for three years before it completely breaks down but that's what happens when it just sets I remember at our house when we moved we had paint from leftover from when we they painted our house before we moved in, and it had set for five years, and oh my goodness, it was awful. That stuff was unusable. I don't know about how you take your coffee, but uh, my grandfather used to say that a real man drinks it black, and so he thought I was a sissy, because I like creamer, frankly, and Luann and I have this great creamer. It's Cold Stone. You're familiar with their ice cream? So it's Cold Stone creamer. Oh, it's the best stuff. You don't even need to put sugar in it. That's probably a bad thing, isn't it? But anyway, uh, it's, it's great, but here, you know this, have you ever poured it in, poured creamer in your coffee, or put sugar in your coffee? You know, right? You gotta stir it up, because if you don't stir it up, like the sugar will go all the way to the bottom. It's kinda like iced tea, right? I grew up on southern sweet tea, and right, amen for that, and, but you gotta stir it up. I remember once Lou made some tea, and, and she put the sugar in, and so I went to get me some, and it was an awful, awful, terrible, sugarless cup of tea. And so, you know, you've got to stir it up to get the sweetness in there. We used to have an above-ground pool at our house when we were in St. Louis. And I took care of it. That's the great thing. Parents take care of it, and the kids enjoy it. And so, but I would put chemicals in. And often I read an article that said after you put the chemicals in, you know, get in and swim and go around the pool, walk around the pool, and be a human stir stick. And so I would do that. And the fearful thing for me was is that my black swimsuit after a couple of weeks, was gray. I'm not sure what those chemicals were doing, but anyway. Um, sometimes stirring is necessary. According to the dictionary, to stir means to move one's hand or implement continuously through a liquid or other substance in order to cool, mix, agitate, dissolve, incite, or affect strongly. The opposite of stagnant. And there are times in our lives, there are times in our lives when we get stirred up in a bad way, right? Times sometimes when our emotions take over or we, our negative feelings begin to take over and we get all stirred up. <laughs> we get all excited. And actually what ends up happening is our feelings get all stirred up and, and actually the, the, our hearts become cloudy. And, and we have to slow down for a minute because that, that upheaval is troubling our lives and we have to let our emotions settle before we're able to move forward. But there are other times in our lives 
They're particularly in our relationships where we become stagnant and stale and the relationship needs to be stirred again, but in a positive way that brings clarity and purpose. In a marriage, it might be, it might be that after you've been married, Luann and I have been married for you know, 38 years and there are times when our marriage needs to be stirred just a little bit. In a job relationship or maybe it's a family parent child relationship or you know sometimes that relationship can get stale and cloudy and 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 you need to stir it up a little bit in a friendship it might be appreciation for someone that needs to be given in order to stir that relationship up and our relationship with god he especially needs to be stirred much like my swimming pool so it can be clean and pure and clear If we aren't careful, our relationship with God can become very stagnant and very stale. It can become very cloudy and dull. And God wants your relationship with him to be alive and awake and active. How does God move his hand through our lives to keep us awake and alive and active in our relationship with him? How does God stir up your relationship with him. So we started a series last week uh, titled The Time Is Now. It's just last week and this week because it's on the book of Haggai. And if you've read the book of Haggai, I think in my Bible, the book of Haggai is like two pages long. And so it's, this is going to be a really short series. <laughs> but God's people, if, if this does kind of give you a pretext, and I'm going to cover a little ground that I did last week because I know we had a lot of you were either gone out of town or we had our ladies retreat in Texas, which was great, and, and you weren't here. But let me just sort of set the, the background for you. Um, in 586 B.C., the Babylonians, who were kind of the superpower of the world, reminiscent of what's going on today, actually, they came and totally destroyed Jerusalem. And they didn't leave one stone stacked on top of the other. And in particular, they destroyed the temple. You remember Solomon built this beautiful, ornate temple with gold, and it, and it was just it was a it was a it was a wonder of the world. People would literally come there. It was a tourist, uh, you know, event for people to come who weren't who weren't Jewish. They would come to the temple because it was so big and ornate and wonderful. Well, when the Babylonians took over, they knocked it down, took everything that was of value out of the temple, back. To Babylon, they knocked the temple down, destroyed even its foundations. And then, not only did they take all of that, but they took people with them as well. They had this great idea about how to keep people from rising up and rebel whenever you've conquered them. And that is that you bring a bunch of them into your homeland and you enslave them. And then you, you mix your culture in with theirs. And, and then your kids begin to mar- marry Babylonians. And, and that weakens their tie to their culture. And so this is the way they kept people from, you know, rising up again is they basically took their religion from them and they took their nationalism from them. Read the book of Daniel. The, Daniel was one of those who was taken back, and you'll see how they kind of did that. Well, it wasn't very long because this is what happens whenever stuff happens. Fifty years later, the Babylonians were overthrown by the Persians, and their king, he decides to let the exiled Jews return to their homeland. So these exiled Jews go back, and they were determined to rebuild their country. But more importantly, they wanted to rebuild God's house, the temple in Jerusalem. Because you see, the temple not only was a place where God resided, where they could worship God, but it was also part of their national identity. 
And so this was important for them both politically and as a country, but most importantly, in order to worship God. And so they start work on the temple, right? But it was challenging work. I mean, the, the economy was in shambles. There was no government to speak of, very little leadership. And because so many people had been taken away, the, the people who stayed behind, some of them had, had married into other cultures as well around Jerusalem now and served other gods. They were called Samaritans, which you may remember a little bit about them from the New Testament. But they, were, they sort of worshiped God, but not quite like the Jews did. And so many of those who returned also, they didn't know what the city looked like because they were young. It had been 50 years. Some of the folks... Some of the folks were older, but some of them were their children and grandchildren. And so when they got there, they didn't know what to expect. Imagine moving away and finding somebody else living in your house. So there was all kinds of chaos and there was all kinds of, of tension. But in order to restore this identity, they began, okay, what can we do? Well, we can start working on the temple. And so that's what they did. They needed to put God's house right in order for them to be right. They needed to restore worship of him. And in Ezra chapter 4, we find out opponents of building the temple really got to work. These are people who lived there and didn't really want to see the old temple come back. Because, you know, right? Leadership hates a vacuum. So other people were living off the land and everything else. And so it says in Ezra chapter 4 that then the people around them set out to discourage the people of Judah and make them afraid to go on building. They got, the, they got the foundations laid, and they had a big celebration, and we'll talk a little bit more about that later. But, but everybody around them thought, oh, no, 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 we, we've got to discourage them. They hired counselors. You thought this was something new to our politics. Listen, they hired counselors, like, you know, Discourage.inc. We want you to go in and send some guys in and work against them and to frustrate their plans. So they hired counselors to work against them, frustrate their plans during the entire reign of Cyrus, king of Persia, and down to the reign of Darius, king of Persia. The enemy's plans work, and the people get discouraged with limited resources, and they quit working on the temple. So you know what? They said, we're going to go build our houses. And so they built beautiful houses. We talked about this for just a minute, uh, uh, you know, last week for just a minute, how they were nice houses. I mean, they were, they, were, they were some fabulous houses. And so this is where Haggai comes in. 14 years after they quit working on the temple, God sends Haggai to them and he has a message. He wants them to build his house. And we talked last week about how God wanted them to not procrastinate any longer. For 14 years, they've been focusing the, on their own house instead of God's house, on their needs instead of the needs. And they've been focusing on what they wanted to do rather than focusing on what God wanted them to do. And they were making all these excuses to not rebuild the temple, like now's not a good time, or the work is hard, or, you know, they're, they're, we're having a hard time feeding ourselves. Crops aren't very good. The politics are bad. The economy's poor. When all this starts happening again, you know, when it, when, now's not the good time, but we'll do it one day. Just not today. And so God challenged them. If you didn't hear that message, you should go online and listen to it this week. God challenged them to not procrastinate anymore. And we talked about the fact that we do that sometimes too, don't we? Like God speaks to us and, and we like go, well, hey, God, can I wait? I don't really want to do that right now. I don't really want to get engaged in that. I got too much going on. I, you know, I'll tithe when my, you know, my job gets better. Or, you know what, I'll, I'll go talk to my neighbor, you know, when, when I'm busy right now. I got, I got to run. I got to go. But God says the time 
is now. And so here we are in the second part. God gives Haggai another message. In Haggai 1, 13 and 14, it says, Then Haggai, the Lord's messenger, gave this message of the Lord to the people. I am with you, declares the Lord. So the Lord stirred up the spirit of Zerubbabel, son of Shilntil, governor of Judah, and the spirit of Joshua, son of Zodak, him, and the the high priest, he was the high priest, and the spirit of the whole remnant of the people. And they came and began to work on the house of the Lord. God stirred them up. For 14 years, they'd put it off. For 14 years, they hadn't done what God wanted. For 14 years, they'd been focused on themselves. And God came and stirred them up. He he stirred up Zerubbabel. He stirred up Joshua. He stirred up all these people. And, And beyond just the things that I read to you earlier about the word stir, in the Hebrew there, the word that he uses, also means to have your eyes open. So God came and the hand of God moved to agitate and incite the people to move forward. He came and he opened their eyes. And there are times in our lives when we need to be stirred by God. Times in our lives when God wants us to do something. But we get discouraged. We we, we feel like the task is too big and it's too much for us. Which, by the way, it always will be. God calls us not just to do what we can do. He calls us what we can do by his strength. In Christ, Paul says, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. He calls us to do those things. But sometimes we get delayed. Things get hard. The enemy discourages us. Doing things God's way are hard sometimes. Enemy, he'll he'll come. And, And what we need in the midst of all that is we need a stirring, an awakening, a rousing and incitement. We need to have our eyes open again to what God wants to do through us. Not a pep talk, not just a rah-rah moment. I'm talking about a stirring deep within us that gets us going and says, I'm going to trust God, and with God's help, I'm going to do what he's asked me to do. Amen? Stay with me, because if you don't, some of this sermon, if you don't amen it, the rocks will cry out, and we'll be sitting here in rubble. But anyway, Here's the thing, how does God do that, right? How does God stir us up? Well, in Haggai chapter 2, verse 4, he says, this is what God says, this is the message. Be strong, now, now be strong, Zerubbabel, declares the Lord. Be strong, son of Josadak, the high priest. Be strong, all you people in the land, and work. Why? Because I am with you. Do all this because I am with you. You can do this. He had to remind them that he was with them. You are not by yourself. You are not alone. The enemy wants you to think that you're alone. That's his biggest trick, is to think I'm all by myself out here dealing with this. I got no friends. I got no help. I got got no power. I got no energy. I got no wherewithal. I don't have the will to get through this. But the Lord declares, I am with you. And that's where it starts. That's where he starts to stir us, to say you're not alone. Everybody needs encouragement. I was in the bookstore one day, and I was reading... um, I was reading the back, uh, you know, they sometimes have parts of the book uh, on the back cover, and I was reading this back cover of this book, 
that it talked about. I didn't know the author. I wasn't acquainted with him. But it was an interesting thing that he told to set up the book. He was talking about his wife who ran her very first marathon. And, uh, and it was important for him and their kids to go cheer her on. Matter of fact, she felt that she needed them to, you know, give her encouragement so she could finish. And you know how they lay out some of these courses uh, the way they are. Uh, they, the husband took out a map, and he plotted where they needed to be. You know, they could get to places quicker because, uh, just because of the way the race was laid out. And so he laid out all of these places where they could go and cheer mom on and, and, and be a part. The problem was, due to some unforeseen traffic issues, they didn't make the first location until after she passed. And so they scurried along to the second one, only to find that they were still behind her. Her husband was concerned. He didn't want his wife to think that she was out there all alone without anybody to cheer her. And so they went to the third spot, and they were late again. The next stop was supposed to be the finish line. So he took the family, and, the, and they had a friend with them, took them there, and he got them all situated by the finish line so they could cheer mom on, you know, for the last, you know, 100, 100 yards or so. And then, then he decided, you know what, I'm going to go, I'm going to walk up the track. So he began to walk up the path, and he went about a mile, and all of a sudden he saw his wife come running, and, and she looked like she was laboring. And so he screamed and he hollered, but, but she couldn't hear him. And, and, and she didn't even seem to look up. And so you know what he did? He did what any good husband would do. He jumped out onto the race course. And he began to run beside her. And she was so excited to see him. And sure enough, his presence right there with her, I mean, that cheered her on. And, and so she thought, I can make this. He told her, you're only about a mile away. You can do this. And he's, he's running with her, and he's cheering her on and everything else. And so they, they, as they start to get to the finish line, um, a couple of race officials and a policeman jump out. And they took the husband into custody. Fortunately for mom, she could see the family down there by the finish line, and so she just kept right on running towards the finish line while her husband went right to jail. And so, but the fact of the matter is, we all need encouragement, don't we? Maybe some of you this week, maybe some of you this morning have felt alone. Maybe some of you this week have felt like God hadn't heard your prayers, and you don't know where he is. Oh, let me tell you, look around you. He's running. He, either he's running beside you, he's running in front of you, or he's running behind you. Or you know what? He's God. He's doing all three at the same time. And what he wants to say to you this morning is, I am with you. Keep putting one foot in front of the other. I got this. You've got this because I've got this because you've got me and I've got you. Do you understand any of that? But the fact, what it is, we're not alone. And you're not alone. God stirs us by reminding us that he is with us every step of the way. Be strong. Do the work. I'm running alongside you. Now is the time. I'm here. I have you. Just like those songs we were singing this morning. I've never walked a, I've never walked a step without him beside me. I don't know if you ever watch NASCAR, anybody, but my uncle who's, who races dragsters, he calls it left turn racing, but... Uh, Anyway, but you know, in, when, when you have, when, you know, when you, you do NASCAR, you have teammates. And sometimes they draft off one another. You know what I mean? Like, like some, what some of you do out here on the highways around here. You draft off the person in front of you to get better gas mileage. And, you know, I learned a lot about this, you know, for me, by uh, watching Ricky Bobby and Carl Naughton Jr. and uh, Shake and Bake Baby. And, uh, but here's the thing. God's with you. 
You can draft off of him. He's in front of you. He's got you. You are not alone. Because here, the Bible says that if he is for us, who can be against us? If he's for us, nobody else is going to win. The enemy's not going to win. The Bible says in Romans 8 that there's nothing that can separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus, not demons or principalities, not life or death or discouraging foes in our life. I am with you, and this is how he stirs us up when we're feeling alone. In verse 5, he goes on the very next sentence. He says, God says to them, this is what I covenanted with you when you came out of Egypt. What he's doing there is he was reminding them, I am faithful. Uh-huh. Man. Oh, doesn't the enemy try to tell you he's not? Doesn't the enemy try to tell you he's broken his promises? Just, just like Satan did in the Garden of Eden. He tries, he tries to tell you that God doesn't keep his word, that God's a liar, that God couldn't be trusted. But God reminds us, I am faithful. All of my promises, and it's funny because he goes back. He, go, he refers all the way back to Egypt, which had been a long time ago. And he's saying, look, I've kept my promises even way back there. You can count on me. Not only am I there, but I do what I promise. Who does that today? Politicians don't do that. A lot of companies don't do that. A lot of friends don't do that. But God keeps his promises. Amen? You read the Word of God and you'll find reminder after reminder of God's faithfulness. A reminder that He does what He will do. And that even though we are unfaithful, He is still faithful to us. Even if we break our promises to God, God keeps His promises to you every time. Times when we're stagnant and stale and beaten up by the enemy, discouraged, God wants to stir us up and remind us. He wants to activate us. He wants to open up our eyes. He wants to awaken us to continue the work of God by reminding us again that he will do what he says he will do. He keeps his promises. Let me give you some scripture about that in case you doubt me. Psalm 94.4. He will cover you with his feathers. He will shelter you with his wings. His faithful promises are your armor and protection. His promises, remembering his promises, is our armor and our protection. And when you're being attacked by the enemy, don't forget his promises. They are an armor and a protection for us. 2 Thessalonians 3.3 3, But the Lord is faithful. He will strengthen you and guard you from the evil one. Hebrews 10.23 Let us hold unswervingly to the hope that we profess. For he who promised is faithful. The Bible again and again and again and again wants to remind you, keep going, keep moving, don't give up, don't give in, don't get off the path, continue to follow him because he is faithful to you. And then lastly, man, that's, that's good stuff. That stirs my gravy. I don't know about yours, but like my grandma used to say, that, that'll bake your beans. Anyway, he also reminded them, I want you to join me. Uh, in Ezra, in Ezra, we read about how they rebuilt the foundation, right? And then they celebrated, okay? And the young folk were feeling pretty good about what they'd accomplished. It had been hard work. These, these are people who had never seen Solomon's temple, right? They're too young. Um, you know, 50 years had passed. They'd been born in Babylon, or maybe they were little bitty kids when they were taken away. 
And so they don't remember all the gold and all the grandeur, uh, all the grandeur and all the extravagance. But the older people, the ones who had seen Solomon's temple, when they looked at this new foundation, they started talking. They started looking at it and said, hmm, not as big as I remember. Matter of fact, I thought, thought it used to be bigger. You know what? It's just not as fancy. I've seen the plans. I've talked with the committee. And uh, we, just don't, we just don't have the gold. We're poor. We're doing poorly. And we don't have the gold, so it's not going to look nearly as nice as it did. I remember when it used to look like this, and I remember when it used to look like that. And even though it was a big deal to rebuild the temple, they were disappointed. Ezra, chapter 3, verse 12. But many of the older priests and Levites and family heads who had seen the former temple wept aloud when they saw the foundation of this temple being laid. And while many others shouted, while many others shouted for joy. And this, check this one out. No one could distinguish the sounds of the shouts of joy from the sound of weeping because the people made so much noise. And the sound was heard far away. Just think about that for a minute. You couldn't tell who was crying and who was rejoicing. And it was heard from far away. What a great witness to the neighbors. I bet that threw fear into them about God when they saw people's, the people of God sad and crying. <laughs> and then God, so, so in Haggai, we have to read that because in Haggai, God addresses this. And you wouldn't understand what he's talking about here if you didn't know the context. Here it is 14 years later, right? Here's what Haggai, here's what God says to Haggai. Who of you is left who saw this house in its former glory? How does it look to you now? Does, does it seem like nothing? <laughs> Do you think this seems like nothing? I mean, you think this is, is anything? This isn't good enough for you? You're discouraged because it didn't look the way that it looked? And it had all the gold that it had? L let me just start with my generation, okay? 59 and older. We should be careful to mourn and grieve and weep and make noise because the church that God is creating today, the temple that he's building, is different than the church we remember. You want to know why? Haggai tells us, God tells us through Haggai, my spirit remains among you. Look, you may not think this is much, but let me tell you what, this is not about that. My spirit remains among you. Do not fear. This is what the Lord Almighty says. In a little while, I will once more shake the heavens and the earth, the sea and the dry land. I will shake all nations, and what is desired by all nations will come. And I will fill this house with glory, says the Lord Almighty. The silver is mine. The gold is mine, declares the Lord Almighty. The glory of this present house will be greater than the glory of the former house, says the Lord Almighty. And in this place, I will grant peace, declares the Lord. What's he saying? For those of you who want to go back to the good old days, don't be afraid. Those of you who remember the glory of the former temple, don't be afraid. My spirit is here. I have a home here. I mean, think about it. For years, what did they do? God's home had been a tent. God's home, they had carried his presence through the desert. And it was, a, it was in a camper. <laughs> and, 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 and then when they built this big, ornate temple, everybody went like, well, this is the glory. No, the glory was never in the gold. 
And the, glo the, the glory of God was never in the silver. The glory of the God was in his presence with which was there. The glory of the God was how he shook the foundations, how he ruled the earth. The glory, he says, is not in all that ornate stuff. The glory is in me. I'm the glory of the temple. You know what? I'll restore my house. The glory in this house will be greater than the glory in the old one. It's not all about you. We're part of a team. You do your part and build my house, and I will do my part. I'm already doing my part. You build the house, and I'll shake the world. And together, this place will be even better than it was before. And that ought to encourage us who are my age and older. Because you know what that says, what that reminds me? That reminds me, you know what I want for my kids? Do you know what I want for my children? Do you know what I want most of all for my, for my grandchildren? I want the glory of this temple to be even greater than it is today. Even greater than what I've experienced. We won't find it going back to the glory days because those glory days were different. But the temple that God is building today through you and through me for us and for future generations and for our kids and our grandkids, God says, I'm going to make it even more glorious. And it's not in silver. And it's not in gold. It's not in how nice the carpet is. It's not in how you know, colorful the paint is. It's in me. And if I'm in the house you got all the glory you need. If I'm in your hearts, you got all you need. I just need you to go. I need you to go, and I need you to finish the house. It's so easy to get stuck in the past, the way things were and what we used to do and how we used to do them, but that's a recipe for stagnation. Start, start by wanting things to be like they used to be, and all of a sudden... And instead of the way God wants them to be, and all of a sudden you will you'll anchor yourselves to something that isn't. Change isn't bad. It's just different. My first car, you'll probably remember this, 1967 Chevy Malibu that my dad brought brand new in 1967. So when I got it and got my license, he said, I'll let you drive it. You've got to pay for your insurance and your gas and all this other stuff. So I got that car, 1967 Chevy Malibu, and I love that car. I tell you what, I painted it candy apple red. Now remember, this is 1960, you know, this is 1977 probably, and here's the deal. Back then, colors only had one name. I don't get, I want to be the guy who makes up the names of colors, because they just get all, you know, forced. You know, but it was just, it was candy apple red, and it was the coolest looking car. Um, it's a... Uh, it, had, it was two-door, had a bench seat, so my girlfriend could sit right here beside me. That was a good thing. It's a good thing. And uh, you guys don't see a lot of bench seats these days, but that was a good thing. And I put uh, 60 series tires on the front, 70 series tires on the back, which were really wide. I had mag wheels all the way around. Uh, when it broke, I could just open up the hood, and there was just that 283 V8 engine, and I could change out anything on that car. Not like today. When they're so crammed, so much of stuff and electronics, I don't even want to open the hood of my car. But I could just open up that hood and I could work on it and do things. It was a great car. I have lots of great memories in that car. But I don't miss that car. Do you know why? Because I actually like air conditioning. And I do. I like air conditioning. And, and, and those hot Texas summers, man, I, 
Uh, you know, it had no power windows. It had no power brakes. It had no power steering to turn those big 60 series tires on it. I went through tie rods like I did oil changes. It was terrible. It, it wasn't an automatic transmission, but it was a three-speed on the column. And so even though my girlfriend was sitting right here behind me, beside me, I couldn't put my arm around her because I needed every appendage I had to work the thing. You know, I'm doing all this and clutches and brakes. And so it was, it was, it was terrible. I mean, I just, you know, I... I, 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 I listen, and I like I like automatic transmission. And I'll tell you what I enjoyed this week. I love having four wheel drive. A week like this demands four wheel drive. That red car, you get a little bit of ice on the road and those big tires. And I literally one time did uh, like three 360s right in the middle of the main drag. I I don't, and that wasn't even ice. It was just wet. I just, I don't, I don't, listen, I love that car. It's a great car. I have great memories about that car, but I'm not mourning that I don't have that car today. I'm not weeping. I mean, I need a backup camera now as the older I get. I need a backup camera. God keeps us stirred up by telling us that if we'll trust him, things are going to be greater, even greater than they were. God wants you to know today that wherever you are and whatever you're stuck in and whatever's going on in your life, that God can do something greater in your life. He has a promise for greater in your life. And I don't care whether you're one of these, you know, whether you're a teenager who has their whole life in front of them, or if you're 95 years old and you don't feel like you got anything in front of you, guess what? God says, I still got something greater for you. The, 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 my presence, this temple, this place will be even greater if you, if you just follow me. You go build my house. Just go build my house. Do your part, and I'm already doing my part. See, they kept saying to him, when you do your part, we'll do ours. And God's going, I'm already doing mine. And hey, if you're waiting on him this morning to do something before you'll follow, well, you're way behind because he's way out in front of you. You know what faith is? Faith is doing what he asks. Even if you don't see why or who or how it's going to work out, we have faith. Why? Because God's already out before us. God's already there. I am with you. And I am faithful. I do what I say. I keep my promises. And I want you to join me. God keeps us stirred up by calling us forward to lead. Following us. He's out in front of us leading us and he wants us to join where he is. I said last week that we're doing this series to prepare us for the next series. Because we're about to enter the Lenten season. Wednesday is Ash Wednesday. And Lenten season is a time of reflection. Um, they, uh, the church always celebrated baptism on Easter. I know you've done that here before at times. And we're planning on doing that again. So if you want to get baptized, holler at us. But here's the thing. That, that, that the Lenten season was designed to understand and look at how, how the, my, my other life, the life I've been living, is different than the life God calls me to live. And so for the next few weeks, during the Lenten season leading up to Easter, we're going to do doing a series called Different. And we're going to be examining some of that, and we're going to be asking ourselves, we're going to let the Holy Spirit ask us where he needs to make us different. And we're going to reflect upon that. But you've got to be open to it. You know, to have revival here at Regency Park, I don't have to go get an evangelist, and we don't have to schedule a week of meetings. I mean, I know that's the way we've done it the last hundred years or so. 
But here's the definition of revival, an improvement in the condition or strengthening of something, an instance of something becoming active or important again. In other words, it's when you get stirred up. When you, God, if God could call on you right now, God wanting to stir you up right now because God is with us. God is faithful, and God asked us to join him. He wants us to put off procrastinating his work. He wants us to answer his call. And I know our enemy will attack. And you know when you say, well, the enemy attacks the church anytime God tries to move it forward, you know what that means? He's going to attack you because you're the church. And so there are going to be some challenges. But we need to ask ourselves the question, does the enemy have any footholds in my life, in my spirit, in my heart, in my attitude? He'll do whatever he can to discourage us, to divide us. Because it's easy to come in here and to separate what we do and say and what God says to us. Kind of like sugar can settle at the bottom unless you stir it up. But God's saying, I want to stir you up so that the sweetness of my present permeates throughout the whole thing. If your relationship with God is stagnant and the sugar is lying at the bottom, you need to stir it up. He wants us to know that he does that by reminding us that he's with us, he's faithful, and he wants us to join him. He wants us to know that the glory of this present house will be greater than the glory of the former house. And in this place, Regency Park Church of the Nazarene, he will grant peace if you're willing to be stirred. I want you this morning to take that stir stick in your hand and I want us to bow our heads and pray and talk to God this morning. Heavenly Father, I'm so grateful for your word. It speaks right to where we are. And boy, Lord, there's sometimes, there's sometimes it soothes us and there's other times it kicks at us. <laughs> there are times that it reminds us of what it means to lie in your arms and there are times when it's uncomfortable because it encourages us to move forward like this message today and so God this morning as a people God this morning as a pastor I want to put myself before you right now and say God is there somewhere you need to be stirring me God is there some place in my relationship with you that I need for you to come, that I need to respond to you? Is there something you've asked me to do and I've let it lie dormant? Oh God, I, I hold this stir stick in my hand this morning and, and God, I, I ask and I pray, show me. Show me where you're looking to stir my heart. Show me where my attitudes need to be stirred so that the sweetness of your spirit better fills my whole heart. Show me today, Father, where, where there are things that you've asked me to do and I've put them off and I've put them off and, and, and Lord, in these days you're challenging me anew that I can't run from your call. God, today is there somewhere in my relationship with you where I've let the enemy have a foothold? God, today I want to knock it loose. I want to knock it out because I don't want the enemy to have any part of me today. I want to be yours and yours alone. So, Father, tell me, tell me, Father, where have I forgotten that you're with me? I repent of thinking I was alone, and I want to rejoice today. I want to be stirred by knowing that you walk in front of me, you walk behind me, and you walk beside me, and sometimes you just pick me up and carry me through. God, today, 
tell me any place where I have questioned your faithfulness, any place in my life where I have doubted you. God, today I want to I grab hold of the thought that you are faithful, that you have always been there and you always will be. I want to breathe in that grace this morning we sung about. I'm not alone. And you've been faithful to me. And oh God, is there something you need for me to do? Help me to let go of the past so that I can embrace an even greater future. I believe you have plans for me. And I want to, fo I want to follow in them. May your glory fill me. May your glory fill my spouse and my kids. And may your glory fill my house. May your glory fill this house and these people. Father, if there is someone today who says that's the kind of Jesus I want to follow, that's the kind of God I want to give my life to, God, I pray right now that if somebody says, you know what, I've been waiting on God, but God's been waiting on me, and they want to come back to you this morning, oh God, may they just ask you and tell you, I want what Jesus did on the cross to count for me. Hide me in the cross. Forgive me for my sins. And be the Lord of my life this morning, that God, you will do it if we ask it. You're waiting. Lord, today, may the days that are ahead be even better than the days that are behind us. I pray for my grandchildren. May the glory of this house be even greater than the glory I remember. May it be even greater for them and for their generation and for their lives today. Let it start with me. Let it begin with me. For we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thanks for joining us today. If uh, you'd like, check us out on our webpage at www.regencypark.org or on Facebook or on Instagram. There are all kinds of places to connect with us. If you'd like to uh, give and contribute, you can do that at our webpage as well. Thanks again for joining us and God bless you.